This is episode 138 of the Two Ball Brothers and a Microphone podcast, where we talk about the people, process, and technology to work together better inside of enterprises. This podcast was recorded on September 13, 2017. In this episode, Tommy and I interview Kimberly Eubank, who was named one of Global Telecom's 50 Women to Watch in 2017. We talk about our approach to business transformation, the importance of using a story to get buy-in, and her perspective on being a woman in technology today and what inherent abilities they bring to the table. We wrap up with a discussion about why she leans on smaller firms like Three Will as part of making change happen. Enjoy this episode and thanks for listening. Hello, and welcome to the Two Ball Brothers and a Microphone podcast. This is Danny Ryan. I'm here with Tommy Ryan, my co-host. How are you doing, Tommy? Doing well, Danny. You look great this morning in your you. orange uh, three-wheel, new orange three-wheel. Almost Nike looks like branded. Clemson orange, uh, doesn't it? Or Auburn orange. Yeah. Or I guess you guys won this weekend. Yeah. So that was nice. a good thing. That I was like a, that. That was a very good thing. We're here this morning with Kimberly Eubank. How are you doing, Kimberly? I'm doing well, thank Wonderful. you. Wonderful. We're so excited to have you here and, and catch I, up so with I'm you. And so I'm Tennessee orange, by the okay. way. So <laughs> your orange is a little off for me, but close <laughs> enough. It's in Means the family. A little but, bit lighter, I guess. Yeah, ours yeah. is a little golder. Okay. Yeah. So you make things happen inside of organizations. And Tom, one of the things, Tommy and I, we love when we're working with people who are movers and shakers inside of organizations. And um, I'm just interested to find out more of how do you approach this when you're, go, when you're typically going into a new organization and you, you're, you're trying to figure out how do you lay out a roadmap. Can you talk us through that whole process? Yeah, so to give folks a little bit of my background, I spent almost 20 years with a Fortune 10 company. And so in that role and then in subsequent roles, I really was um, fortunate to have been given some, some pretty large cross-functional initiatives to tackle. And, um, and no one ever trained me on it. No one ever taught me how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, they just kind of throw you in. And if you survive that size, then the size just keeps exponentially expanding until you've got the big ones. So some of the things that, that I've learned is, you know, you always have to get in and kind of learn and listen what's going on in the situation. Because often in my role, I was dropped into something that wasn't my day job, Mm -hmm. right? There is a big issue that needs to be resolved, some Gordian knot that needs to be untangled. Kimberly, go figure it out. And so first, I think you have to really show the folks whose day job it is Mm -hmm. that you're not there to pass judgment really on what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, You're there to learn and to see if you can help in some way, shape or form. And, you know, they're in the heat of the battle every day. So sometimes you do need an external person to come in to kind of work simultaneously because the day job stuff doesn't go away. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think the first thing is really just listening and, you know, hearing what they're saying their challenges are. Um, the, The place where I have found your conversations become a project is when you actually can formulate a list Mm -hmm. of what's broken or what needs fixed or what needs enhanced. Because when people can actually see it written down, Mm -hmm. it becomes real. And um, so I think finding that list is when like people are like, okay, she actually got it. 
she heard what I said. She wrote it down. Mm-hmm. It's real. She's telling people it's real. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the list is is the second place for me. Once you have the list, then you really have to go through as as the leader of the effort and try to put like holes together, right? Or like pieces together into into holes. So um, you know these five things are similar. They may have to do with order processing. These five things are similar. They may have to do with um, you know with billing. Whatever mm-hmm. they are, you can kind of start to squish them together into yeah. projects. Okay. And um, the companies that I've worked out were very project-centric. So things got funded at the project level, things got done at the project level. So once you can show, uh, you know, you've taken your list of items and you've turned them into projects, then you kind of have to, to lay out the projects into, um, into steps that build on each other, right? So mm-hmm. um, this project is the, the base you know, framework, and then the next project gives you the first floor, and then the next project gives you the second floor, and then the next project puts in the plumbing and the electrical, and um, and once you do that, and you can kind of lay it out in that sequence, mm-hmm. you can begin to tell the story because mm-hmm. the story is what gets you your financing. Mm-hmm. Um, because it always comes, there's there's always way more projects and way more things that you need to fix than there's capital to undertake Mm -hmm. in any given year, right? So you have to make sure that your story um, and the vision that you're painting for your roadmap is the most compelling one out there. Mm -hmm. So it's not really, to get funded, a lot of times it's that first project you need to get funded, not the fifth project, but you need to tell the story of where this is leading to so they can understand that in order for me to reach that goal, I've got this incremental step and you could, I guess, sell it short, not telling that story, that vision of, oh, I need to get this project done, and you're just looking at the inputs and outputs of that particular project. And some people that might get more technical about, well, this is the project we need to do, focus in just on that project. But you're saying it's more of laying out the story and the vision of where we're going, and this is the first step in that journey. It's so interesting how human beings, the story, you know, that's something that they can take with them and get behind and how often that's a, that's a key skill to have and to be able to tell that story. It's, it's huge, especially in a large, large corporation. And I actually, um, and all the traditional project managers out there will, will, will hate me, but I, I hate <laughs> doing a business case for a project yeah. right. because it's never just the yeah. project yeah. it's the program yeah and so the best example i have that of that is um i was working on identity and access management at the the fortune 10 company that i um was at for a long time and if you looked at any one of those individual projects you would have said huh there are high, there are higher priority projects yeah. on the list but if you want a cohesive omni-channel customer experience, mm-hmm. then you have to get to where your, you know, Fortune 10 company has one login across all of its divisions, across all of its products. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, to Tommy's point, start here at step one, you are delaying the end game. And so you really do have to paint that picture. And I never just went to get funding for one project. I always went to get funding for a program. Mm -hmm. And um, because we we would have multiple IT releases. 
throughout the year. And right. I wanted to make sure that I had code in every single release because even if it wasn't what I thought it was when I put the roadmap together, it was at least progression, okay. right? So I always went for the whole year and I always had multiple projects in that, that bucket um, because inevitably the money that they give you in January isn't the money you're going to have in July, right? Mm-hmm. Cuts are going to come throughout the year. On the expense side, you're going to have to make trade-offs. Right. And so I always asked for perfection, mm-hmm. right? And then as they cut back, I could make the decisions inside the program to swap things out, either to delay requirements or reprioritize the projects. Um, so by getting funding at a program level, which you know, I was very fortunate that I was almost always successful at doing. Mm-hmm. It allowed me the flexibility inside the program to shift things around mm-hmm. if, um, you know, if circumstances changed throughout the year. Okay. That's interesting because I think logically people might think that I need to go get funding just for the project and not give the full cost of the program because of the concern of the sticker shock. But you're saying you need to do that. So one, you have some options if the budget gets cut back. Or when and the budget gets cut back. When, yeah. when it yeah. will yeah. get cut yeah. back. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. then also you're not kind of coming short of the vision. So if you just sell the project, you get that project accomplished. The stakeholders might not be celebrating with you when you get that project accomplished. It's the whole program, it's the whole vision. So. If they don't know that, they don't know the end game and kind of the all in, then you're not going to be able to get to the finish line because you haven't given them that insight. Well, you've, right. You've right. you've hit two of two big of the seven habits, which is the um, seek first to understand, which is habit one. Which when you say you come in and you listen, that's absolutely the the first step in building trust. And and then the um, begin with an end in mind. It sounds like that's what you're really you're thinking of. Where where are we going? What are we trying to do here? And you really have to do that. Right. And Tommy knows, you know, with Agile, um, <laughs> right, I, I am actually, um, I understand Tommy has educated me that there's a word for it now. What is it? Uh, it's a uh, water, uh, water scrum fall. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yes. So water I, so it's why I don't necessarily like um, pure Agile because I don't mm-hmm. think that pure Agile starts with the end in mind. Right, right. And so I am a firm believer that the business has to write full waterfall requirements so that you know what your end is. And Mm -hmm. then you can break it apart into chunks for sprint delivery. I'm all about iterative development, being able to see um, the code, right, right, sprint by sprint by sprint. working software, sprint by sprint. But I really strongly believe the vision end to end has to be, you know, 85% 85% there. Right. Otherwise, you don't know where you're going. And yeah. you might code yourself in a corner because you didn't know what was coming around the next corner. That's right. Well, if I'd known that, I wouldn't have set the database up that way. Mm-hmm. Right? And, I, and I've and i I've been in those shoes yes. a couple of times. Right, right. Yeah, yeah we see that in, in a lightweight way. Be careful. You've entered into the world of process. You, yes. That, that's dangerous around <laughs> here. Um <laughs> But in the world of Scrum, the sprint zero and the planning that's done before you start is creating all that backlog so you can have that vision. But I I think when you're in these large programs, there's things that you just have to vet out and almost treat as many projects that get you prepared for the overall project. Um, Otherwise, you might 
arch your, architect yourself into a corner yeah. that, uh, well, we didn't realize this, but, and that comes with, you know, your whole view of having a, a full vision and that if you had that full vision, then you prepare that this is where we're going, not from a, just a business standpoint, but also from a technology standpoint. So when you look at the options that are in front of you, you're not looking at it just from project one, you're looking at it from the program level. Right, and that's why I believe there's a difference between a project manager and a program manager, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. A project manager is really just focused on that one project, and they may know everything about that project, but they're not necessarily looking at all the pieces that that project might impact, whereas more of a program manager really owns the whole end-to-end -end roadmap. Right. And so to me, um, you know, they're the throat to choke, right? Mm -hmm. If there's, as far as tying things together and making sure that the individual pieces go into a cohesive whole. So it's their responsibility to say on project number three, as you know, you're trying to work out and collaborate with architects on what the right design is, wait, if we do that, remember project number six, next February's coming and it does this and this and this. So if we do this, are we precluding that later because we can't preclude that later, right? Right, And then have that conversation. Yeah. But you really do need to understand where you're going in order to make sure that you don't waste time, resources, yeah. energy early on. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, the insight that we get is we get that scrum methodology that has the sprint cycles and we have, you know, the sprint reviews and the daily stand-ups. And we have those touch points with a stakeholder like yourself but that's not the whole thing. Um, you really, what you're trying to do is there's communication and there's collaboration that needs to take place to one, set that vision and continue to communicate, you know, the progress against that vision and to somehow get pieces of what you're doing in front of people to say, are we going in the right direction? Um, what, what do you think is key outside of a, a, you know, you've got the scrum process for the development side of things how do you manage and kind of um, piece together the, the right collaboration that ha happens outside of the development effort? Yeah, so I think the easiest part of a program is the building of it, right? The getting it socialized internally within your organization and getting it funded is actually the hardest part. Mm -hmm. um, and that's going to that's gonna vary company by company on what their culture is and how to do it. But... Um, it, it, it's, it all, for me, starts with a story. Right. Can you tell a compelling story about your program that makes people walk out of the room going, well, we can't not do that, right? Mm -hmm. We'll find the money somewhere. We can't not do that. Right. And, you know, it may not be the... <laughs> And I, and I was used to large sums of money. It might not be the $50 million you asked mm -hmm. for, mm -hmm. but maybe you get $25 million the first right. year, right? And so you at least get, get started. And you also start the prep work of um, of making sure that you're you're greasing the skids for the next budget year, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. So it's that constant. We're making progress. This is what it's doing, and and making sure that your story thread is very consistent. Um, and I don't know that everyone does that. Yeah. Um, I think there were only a few of us, but I will tell you, I never didn't get the money I needed right. with that approach. Right. And there were others who who didn't. So I think that just the communicating and the storytelling is huge when you're going for them for the money. 
And what was that framework? I mean, uh, what distinguished you versus the other person that wasn't getting the funding? Were you taking time to go meet with people face to face? Were there formal meetings set up and you just had the opportunity to kind of vocalize and have your kind of slice of time to advocate your your project, your program? Um, I think that I went bigger mm-hmm. with the end game than most people. Okay. Um, mo- I think a lot of folks really did concentrate on the project at hand or a couple of projects at hand. Um, and I, and again, it's it's hard when you are doing the day job and doing projects at the same time. It's really hard to take a step back and say, there's something bigger here that we need to do. There's a bigger story that we need to tell. It, it can become just a list of projects that you mm-hmm. need to complete and check off, right? right. And so I, I really think what it is is um, a lot of folks who have multiple projects on their list don't take the time to draw the connecting line between the projects to tell a story. Okay. Um, And I think that's why I got more funding more consistently than others. And I've also seen it the other way around where leadership knew that they needed to make a huge investment in the area. And they gave hundreds of millions of dollars to the area. And the area didn't have a good story. Mm-hmm. Yes, we all absolutely agreed that the area in question needed to be improved, modernized, you know, made right. more omni-channel, mm-hmm. better customer experience. But the, but the how they were going to get there, that in that instance, the money came before the story. And I, I think that that didn't work out so well. It became disjointed because they were trying, they were like, oh, we just got this windfall of money. Let's go spin, 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 right? And you're not necessarily, if you've taken the step back and really thought about it and Mm -hmm. really laid out your roadmap and your story, you you may not have spent in the exact same way. So I'm actually not really a proponent of the money coming before the story. Yeah, yeah, it makes makes sense to me because you want to have someone that, has thought through it hard and has a way to defend why do we need this money and what are we going to get out of this versus if the money is just there, then it can be more piecemeal of a land grab of, and I've got my individual project, I'm going to go grab those funds. And then you have five or six people trying to grab those funds, but there's no co- coherent right. vision that's a joint there's vision. No, there's no consistent end game. And I think from the collaboration standpoint um, that, that you asked about, Right. I think one of the reasons is I do spend a lot of time with the people who um, who know what the issues are that are in the day to day muck mm-hmm. and mire. Right? right. Because they're the ones giving me the list. Right. So they're seeing me um, once they figure out kind of what I'm doing and I'm not there to take land from them. Right. I don't right. want your day job. Your day job is not my day job. I don't want your day job, Mm -hmm. right? I'm here to fix a bigger problem that's kind of overarching. Once they figure out that I might help them get money Mm -hmm. that they haven't been able to get on their own, then you're walking into that meeting not with just one person asking for this program, but you have the power of that whole group of people Mm -hmm. saying we all agree this is really really broken and we all agree that the things in this roadmap are things that we need to fix and so you're really coming as a a force 
you know, a force to be reckoned with, not just one individual trying to get money for one individual project or program, right? right? right. And so I think that also um, that also helps grease a little bit on the capital side. Mm -hmm. Would love to understand. This has been a great conversation, and it sounds like a, you're sort of wrapping this up. And, um, it sounds like you know having your story, but then also having how your story relates to other people's stories is a part of this as well. Yeah, you have to make sure you're not telling a different story yep. than mm -hmm. any individual function is yep. telling, yep. right? Mm -hmm. So you need to make sure that you, you're aligned on, if we do this, this is going to help sales operations do that, that, and that. Mm -hmm. If we do this, it's going to help customer operations do that, that, and that. If we do this, it's going to help sales do that, that, and that. Cool. So, um, and, and like I said, if they're going to get their problem solved, at the end of the day, what I've found time and time again is if you're going to actually help them get the problem solved that they have been trying to get solved for, you know, months, years sometimes, mm -hmm. then um, you get the allegiance very quickly mm -hmm. um, because they want to jump on the train. Share your perspective as a woman in technology because a lot of these projects have been tech, primarily technology projects or some of them yeah, that no, you're working everything, on. Yeah, pretty much everything I do. Share your perspective good. just... Um, share with Tommy and I sort of what is because um, it seems like we were, we're often working um, our our business sponsors are often female and that and I I take that to be that they're much more open to collaborating outside their organization um, they they're used to working with um, different groups of people um, what has been your perspective as a female with a, within a lot of uh, a primarily male dominated um, uh, department how has that been. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I've always been on the business side, um, sitting outside the IT realm, uh -huh. right? But um, but I do, you know, I, we, we used to joke that, you know, I'm, I'm not an IT person, but I play one on TV, right? <laughs> so um, I think one of the reasons that you're finding that a lot of your business women are, um, or most of your sponsors are women, is because we multitask. Yeah. Um, I think statistically better than men. And so I think we gravitate toward project management, cross-functional type of roles mm -hmm. more so than men, at least in my, um, my work experience. The people that were given the really big cross-functional you know, things to do were almost always women. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think it goes to we just like having our hands in a little bit of everything, mm -hmm. right? And so... Because of that, women that are drawn to that type of role, I think, and the really successful ones, they speak business and they speak technical. Mm -hmm. And so I've never had an issue as a woman working with the men, but I also have a very forceful personality. Right? No. No, yeah, I know. I'm so shy. I'm no. so shy and reserved. Shut the front um, door. No, exactly. So... Um, so I think that, that what, what technical people, whether they be engineers or whether mm -hmm. they be IT, right, it, they're very, you know, they're very ones and zeros, right? It's black and white. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the facts. Let's figure out the best design approach, blah, 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 blah. And it's just, it's not emotional. It's just, 
you know, we're going to argue it. And Matthew at right. Free Will and I are a perfect example of that, right? We um, love each other, but we would get into the biggest, like, bickering back and forth things because I'm like, no, I wanted you to build X. And, well, but I built Y. And here's why I built Y. Well, here's what I wanted to build X. And and after we get through, and everyone else would just uh-huh. be silent and, and, and let us have the Kimberly Matthew show. Mm-hmm. But at the end, what we would often figure out through that back and forth, and neither of us ever took it personally, mm-hmm. right, was that really the answer wasn't X or Y. It was really a hybrid. It was really Z. Mm. But until mm-hmm. we thought it out, neither right. one of us on our own would have ever gotten to Z. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? And so I think my – and I like working with teams of, of men um, – and I think it's because I really like to dissect the issue, okay. right? I really mm-hmm. like to go, well, it, let's talk about whether A is going to work or it's not going to work and what the side effects of it is versus B. Um, and so I think that if you, you do that, then you also get their, you know, their respect. So I can't say, you know, mansplaining is a big word. <laughs> I actually try to think back in my career whether I've been mansplained to Mm. and I'm sure I have but I didn't even realize I was um but I I don't I don't think that that's been a big issue in my in my Mm -hmm. career I feel like if you come in and you're listening to what they have to say and they're listening to what you have to say then you build a rapport and you build a respect because right. at the end of the day it's really about is this person going to move me the help me move the project forward is this person adding value to the team mm-hmm. and um and so i have to say that as i was coming up i didn't see at the working team level i didn't see a disparity in how the men and the women on the working teams were really treated Mm-hmm. Now, if you want to talk promotions mm-hmm. and upward mobility, yes, I saw some differences. But mm-hmm. at the working team level, we treated each other like peers yeah. more often than not. That's great. You were talking earlier about working across departments mm-hmm. and then working outside your organization, say with vendors or partners. Um, where have you been successful in, in doing that? So, I mean, I've worked with, uh, you know, a zillion vendors over the years, some large and some small. But when I think about the big projects that I worked on really closely with vendors that, that you know, I really feel good about, I can name three examples um, with vendors who were small and they weren't the Accentures or the Deloittes of the world, right? They were... Um, they were they were small kind of niche shops. Please tell me one of them was three well. One of them is three well. <laughs> one of them is three well. Please, um, they weren't. I don't all have to be three well, yes. but at least one. At of least them. one of them. Oh, please, three yes. Okay. So, um, one of them who that actual company has now the, the owner retired, and so mm-hmm. he sold the company to someone else. So I, I won't mention the name um, because it changed name, so the name wouldn't matter. But that was we were doing a network conversion in that project. So we were moving from actually TDMA to GSM um, in the mobile space. And they were brought in to do all of our um, pre-production and post-production testing. So they tested our provisioning to make sure we had all of our provisioning accurate. We dropped them into the field um, to do field tests to make sure that the network was performing. Mm -hmm. So they were doing IT testing for us and they were doing um, network testing for us. 
we continue to use them not just after after that for merger integrations whenever we would bring in another um, a, another carrier and we needed to merge their network with our network or we needed to convert their billing system to our billing system mm-hmm. um, and they were just they were excellent but it was a small it was right. you know 20 30 people probably 50 at its at its apex but because they were small and because they were really in the heat of battle with us every minute of every day, right? We got very close and we really, there was a respect there mm-hmm. and we accomplished great things with that vendor. Um, another vendor that I had is actually, um, I'm going to name them because they're still the same name, OpenNet out of mm-hmm. Ireland. And I worked on with them building a new, um, a new rating methodology. Um, for the company and again that was where I didn't know what I didn't know no one did because it was brand new and we kind of had to figure it out together there was a lot a lot of technical complexity in it and that same back and forth Mm -hmm. that I described with Matthew like we really we had to be that precise and that detailed Mm -hmm. and then with three will again I've worked with you guys in two different companies and it's that it's that openness it's Mm -hmm. that ability in all three of those instances it was the ability to like just treat those vendors like they were one of the team they weren't special they weren't different they were in the heat of the battle with us. Mm-hmm. You talk to them just like you would talk to anybody else, sometimes maybe even a little more, <laughs> <laughs> a little more energetically. But I really feel like those types of relationships mm-hmm. um, brought about better work product. Whereas what you'll find with, or what I've found with some of the larger vendors that can come in is that there's more of a hierarchy of, you know, who do you need to complain to if something's not going right or who right. do you need to talk to? There needs to, to be more process to keep the quality yeah. there. Yeah, and it's not it's not as interactive and it's not as, um, I just, I haven't formed bonds mm-hmm. with those folks like I have with mm-hmm. some of these smaller, more niche shops. Right. Um, and, you know, if you do good work like that, you're going to get, you know, good referrals. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. um, so for me, it, size has mattered mm-hmm. with vendors. Mm-hmm. What's next for you? Um, I, so right now I actually just finished my last, um, gig a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. So I am, I've learned a new word. It's called fun employment. <laughs> <laughs> so I am currently in fun employment. And you right learned now. this from millennials? Right? I did. Mm-hmm. I had my last team, a large portion of it was in New York City and a large uh-huh. portion of it was millennials. Mm-hmm. And, um, so when we ended that assignment, we all went off to find our next gig, and they informed me that in NYC with the millennial crowd, it's not unemployment, it's fun employment. <laughs> so I've, I've kind of taken that as my mantra this summer. So um, I, I am, I am in, the, in the process of looking for my next kind of challenge. Mm-hmm. I really like transformational work. Mm-hmm. I really like work that has a lot of different components. You know, I am that typical multitasking, cross-functional mm-hmm. kind of woman. Mm-hmm. And so I do like being able to take the pieces and and rearranging them into a more seamless, integrated whole. So I don't, and I like technology. Mm-hmm. So I want to stay in technology and I want, um, you know, and I want a job that has some challenge to it. But yeah. beyond that, I'm not, uh, awesome. I'm not so specific about 
where the next few months is going to take me. Well, wherever you go, you're going to be successful. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you will. And, we, and um, we've loved, I know I'm a bit of an outsider looking in, but everybody has loved working with uh, Matthew some days. I'm not sure. Well, you some know, days. Matthew you may and not I, say he loves working with you, know. but uh, it's but. just, I, I think Tommy and I really, um, we look for people like you who are, who are really making things happen and where we can uh, build a long-term bond and where there's true, we can build up trust and be able to um, form a relationship over a longer period of time. And it's just one, been wonderful to see the things you've been able to do and just to be a part of it. I think Tommy yeah. and I are, are really happy to be a part of what you're doing. Yeah. yeah, I mean, for us, it, uh, three wall. It's it's more than just work. It's it's creating an impact on people and and being behind people that you feel excited about being behind. That yeah. you know something's going to get accomplished and something big. And that that's been exciting for us over the years. And and uh, it's great to see someone that um, is passionate. There's a lot of people that kind of just punch the clock, even at the higher level roles. And to see someone that really wants to to care about the problem and, and we care about the problem and there's nothing worse than working for someone that doesn't care. Um, it, it doesn't motivate the team and so um, we're, we're looking forward to seeing the impact you make in your next next gig. Well, yes. thank you. And, and from my standpoint, you know, I having a vendor that you know is going to get the job done and that you can trust and yeah. that you can, um, you know, over time, it's happened over time. Mm -hmm. I've been a little bit more and more hands off with you guys because mm -hmm. I know that you, you know, it, Matthew and I joke that we speak each other's language, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. he speaks Kimberly, I speak Matthew. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> we, we got it. Um, so, and, and it's good to have that rapport because right. um, then you don't have to micromanage as yep. much, yeah. right? Yeah. So, um, so, you know, absolutely, if there's ever an opportunity, to work together again. We've done it at two companies. So. Yes. Yeah, we like things in threes. There, there might be everything comes in threes, right? Well, thank you for doing this, Kimberly. Yeah. I appreciate yeah, your time. You. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.